Aguna and I always have conversations about St. John Chrysostom, because personally for me, um, I've uh, always loved St. John Chrysostom, and I was very happy when I came to the diocese to know that we have a church named after St. John Chrysostom. Um, and I want to tell you before we start that you're lucky, and you're very lucky, to have the patron saint of your church, someone like St. John Chrysostom. Not just because we're here and we're talking about him and his feast is coming up, but I would say this at any day, at any time. When we have a patron saint of the church, we like to know about him. So we know about the martyrs, but we can only know so much about the martyrs. They lived a good life, they were a soldier, they died at this time, and they, you know, they're buried at this place. But you're lucky because you can spend the rest of your life reading St. John Chrysostom, learning about St. John Chrysostom, and not finish. And every time you read, you're going to learn more about who the saint is. By the time you've lived a full life, you will feel like you know St. John Chrysostom too well, as if that he lived with you and grew up with you. Because of the immense amount of information that we have about him, after St. Augustine, he has written the, more, the most, at least we have recorded um, copies of what he has written, the most. He has, as you know, he has letters, all the Pauline epistles he has commentaries on, the gospel. He has written on every single uh, uh, Pauline epistle, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And you're also lucky because you have a Daniel. And we are taught from a very young age not to praise someone in his presence, but he's behind me, so I don't see him. But you are lucky because you have someone who is very, very invested in the fathers, grew up with the fathers, grew up reading, grew up education, you know, involved in education, and he's pushing all of us to read more. This is not common. So what you have, you're double lucky in terms of the depth of spiritual life that you will have if you follow Bunedeno and follow St. John Chrysostom, of course. That was the two-minute introduction, but we can get into the details of the life of St. John Chrysostom. St. John Chrysostom was born in, a, in Antioch, which is modern-day Syria now, and when he was born, his father has passed away before he even knew him and he was raised by his mother and when his father passed away he was 20 years old so imagine yes that's it i can't go any higher i can try he's got two mics on <laughs> we have to i'll try to mess up so, so um, his father passed away when he was just born, and his mother had to raise him at the age of 20. He has another sister that is older than him, that other than the fact that she exists, we don't know anything else. We know that he had a sister, but we don't know much about who she is. She is. We don't know much about who she is after that. So, a mother at 20 years old, in, middle, in the Middle East, raising two children by herself was not a very easy task. Although the father of St. John Chrysostom was a commander in the army, he was very well off, he left money. The mother of St. John Chrysostom had to watch the, the state and kind of, you know, 
uh, follow up with workers and all that, which was not very common at that time. By the time St. John Chrysostom grew a little older, um, it was time for him to get to receive a more formal education. Around the age of 15, that's when the formal education starts. Before that, it's just very simple, you know, you learn the languages, you learn simple math, but then, then that's when you start. So his mother said that she wanted to give him the best education. And because he was bright, she sent him to a person named Libanius, L-I-B-A-N-U-S. He was a very, very famous philosopher, and he was not very Christian necessarily, as much as he was just a very, very good philosopher. And his mother speaks in one of the epistles. He writes about his, you know, his upbringing, and he talks about how there was no other option, and if there was a Christian option for him, he would have gone. But because there was no other option, he went there. And when he went there, he made friends with a person named Basil. Basil, different Basil than the one we read that has written the gospel. Um, but he, he became friends with him. They became very close. They, um, they did everything together, became roommates as well. After he was done with his education, he became what's equivalent of a lawyer now. And he started practicing to the point that they say that Libanius, they asked him after, towards the end of his life, he says, who out of all of your students, you know, would be a good fit to carry on your legacy? Because he, he was very famous. He says, it was St. John Chrysostom, but the Christians took him. So after that, St. John Chrysostom comes back, meets the Bishop of Antioch, a new bishop named Miletius. And he gets very influenced by him. He's about the age of 20 at that time. He gets very influenced by him. He really likes him. He wants to study under him, and he, he gets attached to him. And it was the tradition at that time that not all the children are baptized as, as kids. There were some that were baptized as babies, but there were some who were baptized older in age. So St. John Chrysostom at that time was not baptized. So he took his, life, his spiritual life very serious after he realized, and reading the scripture, he says, reading the scripture and using that philosophical mindset in interpreting it is 10 times better than this, the rest of this world and all that, you know, the vanities of this world, and he wanted to focus on that. So he starts focusing on that. He starts focusing on that, um, and after three years, he spends three years with that bishop. Although he grew up in the church, he, wanted, he had to go through um, catechesis classes as well. They're not as long as they were for someone that comes from outside that was not brought up in the church, but he went through it, getting close to the, the bishop, eventually becomes um, baptized. And after he's baptized, he dedicates his life just to service service in a not formal way, not in a formal, in a way like, you know, as a priest, as someone bearing salary, just he decided to dedicate his life to service. And we hear a story about, at that time, and if you remember, for example, in any of the bishop ordinations that we see nowadays, that during the bishop ordination, you'll find the person that is about to get ordained walk down the aisle in the middle, and then two bishops surrounding him. Um, almost like locking arms and walking him down, like escorting him. So the tradition was that when they would pick someone for a priesthood, they would go without telling him, grabbing him in the middle of the night or at, at whatever point, and almost drag him to the church to be ordained. There was no consensus, there was nothing like that. That's you, you've been picked and you become the priest. 
So there were rumors about him and his friend Basil that they wanted to do that to them. So when they heard the rumors, St. John, Chrysostom, and St. Basil sat together and said, okay, what are we going to do? So they decided, before they decided whether they're going to you know, accept this or not, they decided whatever decision we make, we make it together. We either do this together or we don't do it. Because they were very close. So after a while, after they prayed and decided, okay, we're going to do this. So when they come, we're not going to resist. We're going to go with them. So the rumors actually were true. And, you know, people wanted them to be bishops, so they, you know, uh, excuse me, priests. So they ran after them, they got them. But St. John Chrysostom ran away. <coughs> so they were only able to get Basil. They take him to the church, they ordain him a priest, and then Basil looks behind him, looks for St. John, he's not there. So he's like, what happened? So after ordination, after that, he gets very upset. His, you know, his, his best friend, they had an agreement, they had a, you know, a deal, and he bailed on him. So he goes back and talks to St. John and tells him, what happened? Why did you do this? We had an agreement. If you wanted to say no, you could have said no. Why did you change your mind? So from that point, we get this six books. Um, they're called books, but they're just pamphlets on the priesthood by St. John Chrysostom. He writes letters, or six books, about the conversation he had with his friend Basil, and why he ran away, and why he decided not to be a priest. So, the, for a summary, he was saying that he saw in Basil all the characteristics of priesthood. And he saw in Basil that he would be, make a very good priest. And he lists all the different characteristics of what makes a good priest, what makes, what, what makes a, a person that is not fit for the priesthood. And he says, I saw in you all these things. And I knew if I said no, you will say no. So the only way to get you to do this and so that the people from benefit from your fatherhood is for me to do this trick. And he goes an explanation, a very long explanation of what the priesthood is about and what it's not and what's fitting for a priest and what's not fitting for a priest. To the point that he says, one of them that was very scary for me to read, is he says, the priesthood is even harder than being a hermit, someone that lives in the desert. He says, a priest has to know everything about the world, but be detached to it, from it. As opposed to someone that is in the monastery, at least is not being tempted physically by being around it. And he goes on and on, and he says, he says very scary things about priesthood in general. But also in the beginning, he says about how when he wanted to become a monk in the beginning, his mother told him, why would you leave me and make me a widow twice? And he has this very nice thing in the first book about his relationship with his mother. Again, back to the first thing I was saying in the beginning, you can learn about a lot from the life of St. John Chrysostom by reading through him, and you will learn more and more about how his relationship was with his mother, which was very, very strong. For the sake of time, I'm gonna go a little faster. So he eventually, um, you know, not becomes a, doesn't become a priest. Uh, people are, you know, eventually figured out that he did this. And then he decided, and, and his mother passed away, so he decided to go in the inner desert and become a monk. For four years, he spent under, um, in what's like a brotherhood almost, uh, of living with other people and learning with them and becoming, um, you know, a monk in a, in a monastic setting. But then after two years, 
he goes into a cave, shuts himself up, and becomes completely secluded, only the scripture. And it says, we know two things that happened during those two years very well. That he was memorizing the scripture, so by the time he was out, he would have the memor he had the scripture memorized, Old Testament and New Testament. I don't know the exact details, we don't know, but we know he, he has learned a lot, memorized a lot of them. And the other thing that we know that he never sat down, like laid down, sorry. So he would pray, standing, and if anything, he would sit down when he sleeps, but he never laid down. So he was very, very hard with himself, very harsh uh, with it, on his body, to the point that after two years, um, he had a very bad stomach problem that he couldn't last there for any longer, and he had to go back to the city because otherwise he would have died. So after that, he came back to the city. He meets the bishop that raised him, um, and the bishop that raised him, um, you know, brings him back to the service and all that, and he becomes very, uh, very instrumental. To the point that eventually he accepts his priesthood and becomes a priest, and to the point that at one point the emperor at the time wanted to uh, increase the taxes. And when he wanted to increase the taxes, the people had riots. And when they had riots, um, they went and there's a golden statue of the emperor and his children. And they knocked that down and they had fires and stuff. The emperor got very upset and pretty much wanted to destroy the city. So St. Drankazastam went to the bishop and told him, you go talk to the emperor, try to calm him down, tell him if you forgive the people, God will forgive you your sins, and try to kind of you know, win him over, and I will stay here and try to calm the people down. So St. John stays, gives sermons over um, Lent, there are 23 sermons called the, the homilies on the statues. Um, and every one of them talks about something different that they need to do in order for the wrath of the emperor to take it to go away. And it's, it's all spiritual. Like one of them talks about fasting. I think it's homily three. The first one, why does bad things happen to good people? Um, another one about, uh, you know, taking care of your, your family and your house and all that. And they're very, very nice. Eventually he becomes a very, um, almost like a hero figure because in the eyes of the people, he was the one that made the emperor change his mind, even though the, 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 the bishop was the one to go. Anyway, he becomes very, very um, loved. And the, as the emperor was, uh, excuse me, as the patriarch was getting older, they were saying, he's the successor. One night, a delegation came, comes from Constantinople, which is the, the main hub of, of the empire at that time, I mean, you can call it the capital. Um, and when they came, they wanted him um, to go with them and said, the emperor needs you. So he doesn't have any dealing with the emperor. They're coming at night, he, he thinks like, okay, why would I go there? Like, I'm probably in trouble. So he doesn't know what to do. He goes with them. When he goes there, Uh, so when he goes there, they say, the emperor says, um, this is the city of the empire, like this is the most important city, I want you to be the bishop here, because the bishop has passed away, and it needs someone that the same caliber as the emperor, someone that is eloquent, someone that is controlling, someone that he'd have good relationships with. The reason why they came at night, number one, is because if the people in the city of Antioch knew that they are going to take him, 
they would have caused another riot and they would have gotten in the way. And the second thing is because if he knew that they wanted him a patriarch, he would have never went with them. So that's why he went, they came at night. So they come at night, they take him, he goes with them. Um, eventually they agree, even though there were other nom nominees, someone from Alexandria was nominated, someone from another city was nominated, but they eventually, the emperor picks um, St. John Chrysostom, he becomes the patriarch. Comes the patriarch of Constantinople, even though he grew up in Antioch, different distance, different uh, culture, a little different, not too much, but Greek was the main language, so at least the language was there. He starts speaking, but when he, when he got in there, he, there was a very famous thing that he had, and a character, characteristics that he had. He did not like money. He hated money, if, if I were to say um, that. So the first thing he does, he finds marble in the church, he takes out all the marble from a church called Anastasia, St. Anastasia, and he sells it. He goes to where he lives, like the equivalent of like the residence of the, of the patriarch, or uh, the bishop, you know. He finds this very big dining room. He takes everything that they used to have like uh, dinner events in there. It's like no more dinner events. He sells all the plates and all the cups and all the, the fancy stuff, gives to the poor. So everything that he saw that was there, he sold and gave to the poor. So he won over a lot of the people that were poor, which is the majority. But at the same time, a lot of the rich people didn't like him because in his sermons, he would always say and talk about the relationship between the poor and the rich and how they should be giving to the rich and how God bless the rich so they can give the poor, not because of any other reason, not because he loves one more than the other, but this is the, the, yani, this is the system, is that God gives to one, two, and zero to the other, so that they both have one at the end. Um, so, it was not very uh, well taken, but eventually, because of who he is, because of his character, and because he was doing what he was saying, the people started um, listening more and so on. He gets in a conflict with two main people that cause him to be exiled. Main, one person is Theophilus, which is the bishop of Alexandria at the time, and the wife of the emperor, empress at that, uh, at that time, over a long story that we will not go into. Eventually gets exiled. Um, he goes on the first exile, and after he goes on the first exile by the emperor, you, they, they, you know, they tell him, you have to get out of here. A huge earthquake takes place, and the empress feels bad, and she feels like this is happening because the exile sent John Chrysostom. So they send a delegation to get him back, and when he comes back, the earthquake ends. So he stays for a little bit longer, and then, how do I say this nicely? He didn't watch what he was saying, right? Which got him in trouble even more, and he had to go again, and eventually, he died in exile in a, in a place close to Armenia in very cold weather, and he died there, and then they brought him, uh, and then they buried him there, and then a few years, uh, years later, after the emperor passed away and the empress passed away, their children took over, and their children realized how he was not um, treated well. So they brought the body back, and they had this big celebration at that port where the water, you know, at the beach, pretty much, of where the body came. They knelt down, the wife, the daughter, and the son of the empress, apologizing and asking for Saint John Chrysostom to forgive their parents. And they brought him back to the church, 
almost to say that he is the patriarch, to bring him back, even though he's dead, and buried him in the Church of the Holy Apostles, which is in Constantinople till now. And if I have three minutes, I can tell you one of the stories that happened during this patriarchate. I'm sure you know this story of St. Paul, so maybe we'll not go about that, but I'll tell you another story that is very interesting, and actually one... Tell us about that one that has maybe uh, moved me the most in the life of St. John Chrysostom. There was a man named Eutrypius who was, um, who was almost like um, the second-hand man, uh, the second person in the, um, to, the, uh, to the emperor. Eutrypius, um, there was also a rule similar to um, you would see here in California and in some of the states that if you do a crime, you and the police chasing you, for example, you can run into a church and take refuge in the church. It's called sanctuary law. Um, I don't know how, if it's the same way, like as much, uh, the same exact way or not, but he wanted to override that law because he loved money. So anyone would, you know, that he wanted to, um, to get in trouble would run in the church. Eventually, he was not able to override that law but he would do it anyway, he would go in the church and drag people out. Even though it wasn't the law. After a few things, a few good people said a few good things to a few, few people, they got Eutrypius in trouble. So Eutrypius starts running. The emperor army goes after him. And as he is going, he finds the church, he turns into the church. To do what he was fighting against. So St. John Chrysostom, and if you remember maybe from the time of Egypt, or I think in St. Mina, they have the same thing. The altar like this had four pillars and a dome on top, right? So he held on to one of the pillars. So the army is going in to take him. So St. John Chrysostom hears the riots, comes from his church, from his residence, stands right here, and then Eutrypius is standing right here, and he tells the, army, the, the soldiers, if you want to take him, you have to take me first. He who comes in the church to take refuge in the church, the church will never give him up. Regardless of who he is, regardless of his history, regardless of whatever. If you come to the church to take refuge in the church, the church will never give you up. So, that was on a, on, a, on a Thursday. Everyone comes to church on Sunday. They hear the stories, they hear the rumors. And even in the, in the, in the sermon that St. John Chrysostom writes, he says, I've never seen the church that full, even on Christmas and Easter. They all want to come and see the scene of this guy staying in here and like, you know, the soldiers and all that. And St. John Chrysostom takes the, the opportunity to give a sermon on how the church is your mother and is a place of ref a refuge, a place that will protect you even if you're in the wrong. A few days later, Eutrypius gets bored of just being there. So he thinks the soldiers are not after him anymore. He runs out in the middle of the night. And they capture him, they take him um, back to prison, and they eventually um, kill him. So next Sunday, St. John Chrysostom takes the opportunity of saying that the church did not abandon you him, but he abandoned the church. And if you abandon the church, there is nothing we can do about it. But as long as you're in the church, we can serve you. And then he goes in details 
about the beauty of the church and what is the church and how the church accepts everyone and how the church looks after everyone regardless of your sin, regardless of this and that. And I think very similar to what you'll see on the back of this card of how the church will take anyone regardless of what their history is, regardless of what yesterday, just yesterday, they were doing, the person was doing. And Eutropius eventually dies, but we get a beautiful homily on who is the church in our life. Not what is the church, but who is the church to us. And then uh, this story. So this is St. John Chrysostom, and this is St. Paul. This is his disciple, his name is Palladius. This is his other disciple, her name, or Deaconess. Her name is Olympias. So this is uh, St. Paul, St. Palladius, Palladius, and Olympias. Olympias, yes. So, Sandrachus also had a certain appointment that he had. So Palladius, like his secretary, his disciple, came to remind him. So he sees him writing, and he sees another person that, he, that was talking to him, like, almost like dictating him. So he leaves, you know, and he says, I don't want to interrupt. Um, I'll come back later. So he comes back when the appointment time comes closer. You know, he does the same thing. He finds him. So he says, okay, he's busy, I'm not going to knock, I'm going to leave. The appointment passes and all that, and then St. John Chrysostom eventually comes out. Right? So, they, so Palladius asks him, you know, um, who, who are you visiting? You missed this other meeting. He's like, I, didn't, I wasn't visiting anyone. He's like, no, there was someone with you in your cell, and you were writing, and you were dictating. So he's like, no, like I was just writing. I was stuck somewhere in the epistle of Romans, and I didn't know what it was, but then I was praying, and I eventually figured out, and I was able to write the commentary. So he said, no, I saw it. I saw someone. He's like, what did he look like? So he started describing to him St. Paul. And he's like, oh, so it's St. Paul. So he saw St. Paul dictating St. John Chrysostom, and St. John Chrysostom didn't know. And that's the power of scripture. He took scripture very serious. He was reading, he was very diligent, and God gave him to be able to understand even more from the author himself. And he himself didn't know what he was um, going through. Olympias also is one of the deaconess that he was, um, he was kind of mentoring and so on, uh, and, and helping, and she was responsible for the house of visitors. There was, in every church, there was a house you know, dedicated for people that are traveling, coming through, that they will come and stay there. Like we say in the liturgy, um, the widow, the orphan, the stranger. So like, there, there was a place for them. Anyone passing by can stay if they want to spend the night. And she was responsible for that and giving the money to the poor and all that. And even when he was in exile, he, she was the only one that he would write letters back to because she was very discouraged because um, after he left, they weren't treating her very well. Um, I know I went a lot over what I should have. But I'm going to stop now and see if there are any questions or any thoughts. Yes. There was some kind of a discrepancy about understanding certain events in the Bible between St. John Chrysostom and the Pope of Alexandria. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? It, what, so the, the, the problem was not specifically in the biblical explanation, but in 
what's called, there were four people called the Four Tall Brothers. There were four people that were amongst in Alexandria that have left Alexandria because they got in a conflict with St. Theophilus or Pope Theophilus. And when, he, when they left, they went to Jerusalem first, and Jerusalem said, if you are excommunicated by the Pope of Alexandria, we can't help you. You know, they went again to Cyprus, the Pope Epiphanius there, uh, Patriarch Epiphanius there said, like, I can't help you, you're excommunicated by a church, and we're in communion in that church. For example, if someone gets in trouble here, and Abuna Daniel lets us know, and they go to a church next door, and the church can't give them communion, he, like, they got in trouble. So they eventually come to St. John Chrysostom to appeal to the Constantinople, the emperor. So St. John Chrysostom says, look, I can't, I can't give you communion, but I can let you stay with Olympias in the visitor's house. And you can attempt prayers, but you can't take communion. Because of that, someone wrote a letter to Pope Theophilus saying, oh, he took them in. Which caused the conflict between that. But the, the, or, the origin of why there was a problem between even those four tall brothers and uh, Theophilus was uh, their understanding of origin. So they say, did God have a face like us? And a hand like us, you know? So Origen said yes. Pope Theophilus and the rest, I mean, until now, we say like, no, he was not, he doesn't have, yes, he was incarnate, but like he, did, he doesn't have the ear, like we think of an ear, and I, like when you say incline your ear, he doesn't really physically have an ear in heaven, right? So that was the conflict between Pope Theophilus and the four, four tall brothers. So then it translates that St. John Chrysostom adopted their belief, and that's why there's a, you know, a conflict between Theophilus and John Chrysostom in the understanding of that. But he didn't adopt their belief, he just accepted them because they have no, had nowhere to go, and they were going to go to complain to the emperor. He, he was not following for against that St. John Chrysostom, in general, yeah, I mean, this is a general thing, and that's why his writings are very beautiful, is not very dogmatic in his writing. He's very practical and spiritual. But he, you'll never be able to say, that you'll never find a book that talks about the dogma, the, the dogmatic understanding of St. John Chrysostom, because he doesn't address that. He's very simple in his writing, he doesn't go in the details of the Incarnation, or at, when he speaks about the Incarnation, he speaks about how the Incarnation, what the Incarnation means for me, my spirituality, and my salvation, but he doesn't talk about who God is, and or like the unity of the divinity and the humanity, he doesn't go in that detail at all, dogmatically. And then the church, and then the Coptic Orthodox Church to reconcile after this, in, in the lists of the saints, always put St. John Chrysostom before St. Theophilus. Even though they're both there, but because, in a way, we kind of wronged St. John Chrysostom a little bit, to correct it, they, they put him uh, higher up in the list. You know, just before, a couple of people before, it's a small touch, but it's just to, to, to speak about this point. And, and to Abuna's point, you'll find this a lot in our, in our liturgical text. For example, St. Severus and St. Dioscorus. Dioscorus was the patriarch of Alexandria. Severus the patriarch of Antioch. Severus fled to Egypt, and because he was a visitor, he was put first before Dioscorus. So we have these, like, uh, like Abuna is saying, we have these common practices that we show um, uh, respect to certain people by putting them before others to show that they, uh, we have a lot of respect for them. Any other thoughts, questions? What year did he have a 407. He's considered as a saint in the Orthodox Church and also as a saint in the Catholic Church. 
Yeah, they, they call him the one of the doctors of the church. There are thirty-six doctors of the church in the Catholic Church. He's one of them. As the yeah. doctor is like one of the people that you can, uh, like you can read blindly without thinking, without you know questioning anything. Saint uh, Saint always says that we have Saint Cyril and Saint Athanasius. They are the you know the boundaries, right? And then between them, Saint John Chrysostom, Saint Basil, and Saint Gregory. All five of them are the safest to read. Anything they write is safe. And in their biblical interpretation, you'll see differences, and it's fine. You know, how, how they interpret certain things, it's fine. But it doesn't um, take away from um, their blessedness and their holiness. Any other questions? All right. Thank you. Thank you, Abuna. We appreciate your driving and coming all this distance and, and partaking of the feast with us. Um, this this week, Wednesday, if you can, go to a liturgy. I even think St. Marina canceled their Wednesday liturgy. But Thanksgiving is also an important day. So this is uh, the first, I hope, of many talks. The next couple of talks are not going to be as as um, eloquent and as, uh, as long. full of content as this one. But please, keep pick up that book in the back. Or if you have a copy at home, prepare yourself uh, for the following weeks when we'll be reading on the Incarnation. And in a way similar to this, we'll figure out, um, we'll be talking about this uh, going